On this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts, lace up your running shoes as we talk to two men from the Flash mythos. John Wesley Shipp, star of the 1990s Flash TV series, and the current show on the CW. And Charlie Schlotter, the reigning voiceover champ of Flash video game and animation projects. Plus, we talk about all the latest Star Wars news and awesomeness. Now, straight from the Central City Police Department Forensics Lab, this is 1.21 Gigawatts. Hey there, and welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts, episode number 41 for June 2019. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that are cool and noteworthy and deserve to be celebrated. Do both yourself and myself a favor and subscribe right now to guarantee that you never miss an episode. We are just days away from taking 1.21 gigawatts on the road to the Garden State Comic Fest in Morristown, New Jersey. On June 29th and 30th, I'll be hosting panels featuring Aaron Ashmore from Smallville and Warehouse 13, voiceover actors Alan Oppenheimer and Michael Bell, Skeletor and Duke from G.I. Joe, respectively, New Jersey comic store owners, faculty from the Joe Kubert School, and, oh, members of the heavy metal band Guar? People, this show is a blast and is also full of legendary comic book creators and fantastic vendors. Please join me at the Garden State Comic Fest. Details can be found at GardenStateComicFest.com. The next Star Wars movie, The Rise of Skywalker, is still seven months away from being released. But Star Wars, as an overall brand, is blowing up like a small moon-sized Imperial superweapon. At Star Wars Celebration in April, we got a title and trailer for Episode Nine, a sneak peek at The Mandalorian coming to Disney+, peeks at the Galaxy's Edgeland at the Disney parks, and so much more. Cut to a month and a half-ish later and Galaxy's Edge is open at Disneyland, and by all accounts, is spectacular. And then Vanity Fair releases their traditional countdown to the film issue with lots of new Episode Nine revelations and gorgeous photographs from Annie Leibovitz. The stream of Star Wars goodness just never ends. Luckily, I have someone here to help me sort through all the latest and greatest, someone whose devotion to the galaxy far, far away rivals if not surpasses my own. It hurts for me to say those words out loud. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. And perhaps most importantly, he has the same first name as myself, which makes him a perfect fit for a segment called My Two Brads, all the way from Chicago, Illinois. Give it up for Brad Yance. Hello, Brad Barton. How are you? I'm so, so good and uh, better than ever now that um, I'm talking to you about this. It's I- been way too long. I, I will not take the title of no more than you. <laughs> I, I don't I know. Accept it. I you accept may, it. you may have a, you've got a claim. So so let's let's talk about that for the the less initiated out there. They don't they don't need to take my word for it that that you are a a bona fide uh, giganto Star Wars nerd. Let's let's talk about your your sure. fanboy cred and and I'm going to go specifically to. Um, from social media, here's here's what I gleaned. I can't remember which movie it was. Maybe multiple movies. But um, if I was reading the Facebooks and whatnot correctly, you saw one of the recent movies multiple times, of course, 
in rapid succession, but you did it in different cities, right? This is true. Yeah. Tell me about that. So it, it all kind of started as a, a bit of a throwaway comment that um, my friends from elementary school and I had, uh, we were, we were chatting over, you know, text message and we were like, we should, we should get together <laughs> to see, uh, at that time it was Force Awakens. Um, that would be really cool because, you know, we played Star Wars 30 years ago together. Let's go see the next movie together. So we ended up flying to um, California to go see it where one of my friends lives. Um, the other one flew in from Alaska. Whoa. So we figured, we figured California was a, a good enough place to meet. Uh, in December, it seemed like that would be warmer than Chicago or, uh, or Alaska. Um, and yeah, so we saw it uh, three times in about 24 hours. Um, and uh, it was great. We went to the, the first show that they had at that little theater in California. Um, and then, of course, it was the holiday. So I was back in Indiana with my family and I had to go see it with my nephew, who at that time was uh, 11 years old and was just ripe for exposing to all the grandeur yeah. of Star Wars. So I saw it a few times in Indiana and then, you know, I live in Chicago and I saw it several times in Chicago. I actually, I tried, uh, I had a friend in San Francisco who challenged me to the 12 parsec challenge, which was to see it 12 times in the theater. Uh, but I only made it to nine times in the theater. <laughs> you slacker. Yeah, I know. Wow. I feel pretty bad that I, I couldn't meet up to with, to it, but, uh, but yeah, that, so that was, that was Force Awakens. Um, and then subsequent to that, we, we've, uh, we haven't seen all of them together, but I saw, um, Rogue One with the friend from California when he was in Indiana. Um, and I saw Rogue One with, uh, the Alaska friend, um, when, uh, when it came out. So it's, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's that story <laughs> of that's, my, that is amazing. crossing the nation to see force awakens that is devotion i i love that i am um, uh so in the department of full disclosure I'll, I'll mention that that we originally of course knew each other from um working at fao schwartz um mm -hmm. in, in various capacities but this was this was deep into the prequel times um, yeah. and uh so so we you probably even more than than me I got to see a fair amount of Star Wars merch just as it was hitting shelves, store shelves, or being able to like open the boxes and peek and like we're stocking shelves in the coolest way possible. <laughs> did Did you ever have that's the reek? <laughs> Here's the reek. Too. It's so cool. <laughs> I don't know what this is going to be. <laughs> All the teeth. Yeah. Um, did Did you ever have story elements spoiled for you because of your job at FAO Schwartz? Um. No. Um, thankfully, um, <laughs> the, the, the movie that I was probably most spoiled for was, was Force Awakens, but that's just the nature of internet uh, right. now. But, um, but yeah, during the, the prequel era, I was very unspoiled. However, I will say um, that back in those days, uh, a, lot, a lot of times the novelization would come out earlier than the yes. movie um, or the, uh, the graphic novel adaptation would come out. And I did read the published screenplay of, of The Phantom Menace before I saw it in the theater. And I read the um, Attack of the Clones graphic novel before I saw it okay. in the theater. Um, but I, I've always felt like 
um, you, you can read as much spoilerific material as you want about a Star Wars movie. It's all in the execution um, because they're, they're, they're so visual. They're so um, unique uh, in the way that they're told that, that just reading it off the pages is, is, doesn't do it justice. You know, it's like Shakespeare. You can't just read Shakespeare. You have to see Shakespeare to appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, you're not the first person to make that comparison. Certainly, especially <laughs> not the, the publishing campaign, which yeah, exactly. Shakespeare out the Star Wars movies. The, I, I asked that question partly. It was sort of a leading question because one of my more uh, I'm going to say a happy memory of FAO Schwartz, but it, it was also like oh, was working uh, the Star Wars room for episode two. So the movie had not come out yet. Um, and some grandmotherly type person bringing a Django Fett action figure to me and complaining about the fact that the head kept coming off. Uh, oh, and as I'm looking at it, like, oh, that's, that's weird. And like, oh, it's a little magnet. Uh, 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 well, that's the thing that's going to happen. Charis, <laughs> mm. you Hasbro with your genius maneuvers. Yeah, and speaking of a Shakespearean moment with uh, Boba yeah. Fett and his head on the on the helmet, absolutely, alas, yeah. yes, alas for Django. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so let's dive into some of your adventures and your your uh, your thoughts on some of this stuff. You were at sure. Star Wars Celebration, man, and um, I was those of us who could not make it. It's handy when it's in your hometown, but I suspect you're going to be there either way. So. Um, uh, Lordy, tell me about your, your impressions. What did you get to get in on uh, Rise of Skywalker or the Mandalorian panels? Anything like that? I, I was lucky enough. I, uh, I actually, uh, first of all, I have to say I loved the lottery system this year for, mm. for Star Wars Celebration for the panels. Uh, I went to the one in Anaheim in 2015 and stood, slept, sat oh. in line for about 13 hours uh, to see that one. Totally worth it. Um, but, uh, I've got several more years on me now. And I, after that experience, I was like, I am way too old to be doing that. Um, so now, and, and I, and I suspect that I am not the only one who feels that way. Um, and, and so I, I loved the lottery system. So I was lucky enough to get, um, to see the rise of Skywalker panel and to go to the, uh, Phantom Menace 20th anniversary panel did not get to see the Mandalorian panel. Um, at, at least not uh, uh, officially or um, unpirated. Um, <laughs> what? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't, on um, something called Tube, um, <laughs> a, uh, might be. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so um, I went with uh, the nephew, uh, my nephew who uh, just turned 13. It was his Christmas present uh, to come to Chicago and, and go to Star Wars Celebration with me. He's been a huge fan of Star Wars, No thanks in no small part to, uh, to me, but um, uh, since he was about three years old. So it was, it was fun. It was, it was nice to kind of experience it with him and through his eyes, and we did see the Rise of Skywalker panel. Um, and anytime you're in any room and they say, ladies and gentlemen, your host, Stephen Colbert, yeah. um, you're automatically set up for, for some, some good times. Um, so the panel was, you know, kind of what I expected it to be a lot of, uh, tight lipped, vague, vague <laughs> around, uh, what was happening in the movie. 
um, and uh, the introduction of a new droid. But um, the trailer was spectacular, and I think um, it did exactly what that trailer needed to do on on a multitude of levels. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's no secret that Star Wars fandom has been a, a bit fractured in, yeah. in recent time, um, and I think that that trailer went a long way to get people excited and get people talking about something else other than uh, a fractured fandom. Um, and I mean, come on, the the score, the the, the Leia theme playing underneath there, seeing her in the movie. Lando, it was it was fantastic, and then uh, that uh, you know post credits moment, so to speak, where the the laugh started happening and the lights came up, and there was uh, there was the emperor right there standing on stage, and his now famous roll it again. Yeah, um, it was it was mad, it was crazy. It was you know I, I tell people there's nothing like seeing a Star Wars movie on opening night with a bunch mm-hmm. of Star Wars fans. Multiply that times a thousand. Seeing a trailer for the first time in a in a room, uh, an arena full of thousands and thousands of huge Star Wars fans, um, and it's it's just emotional. It really is. I, I'm yeah. not I'm not afraid to admit that I may have shed a tear or two, uh, <laughs> especially at the appearance of Carrie Fisher. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was great. That was really great. Um, we had a really good time just walking around and, you know, the cosplay is always so amazing there. Um, but, uh, I, I think, you know, even though I wasn't in the, um, the panel, I am super, super excited for the Mandalorian. Mm. Um, I think, um, Disney plus is a a platform that is really going to help to expand the the star wars universe in a lot of different ways yeah. um I, I think in in uh, in certain ways there are some star wars movies that came out recently that might have been better as um a really great well-produced tv show you know i mm-hmm. loved solo um i saw it when it opened um but it was it was a really good movie and i had a lot of fun and i really liked it i don't know if i needed it but if that had been a six-hour sure miniseries man that would have been fantastic and i think um people may have have taken to someone who isn't harrison ford uh playing that role maybe it would have been a a little bit easier than in a in television form yeah that's that's a good point that might have gone down a little bit smoother like oh it's it's television so it doesn't count as much or something which is not necessarily anything i subscribe to but i hear what you're saying Um, sure, it seems like the stakes are lower and yet they're still going to deliver in such a huge way that it's hard not to see it as like, I never thought that Star Wars TV would be like this. Like, yeah, well, yeah. Of course it was going to be. I mean, dream bigger for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's like you said, it's it is a very exciting time to be a Star Wars fan. For sure. um, and I think I think in, in the... In the years to come, people will look back at the quote-unquote failure of Solo, which you know, $400 million is nothing to sneeze yeah, at. Right. Um, but I, I think be positioned people, correctly as maybe like the marketing failure. Yeah. Someone. Yeah. And not, not, that I not I 100% agree with. Yeah. Um, and I think people look back and say, they'll say that the movie was really good. I think people will really like it. And I also think people will, will, um, thank that movie for giving us things like the Mandalorian and the Cassian series and the fingers crossed Obi-Wan Kenobi series starring Ian McGregor. Um, (laughs) Because uh, I, I would, uh, you know, I'll definitely would have gone to see a Boba Fett movie or uh, an Obi-Wan movie, 
but knowing that I'm going to get six, eight, ten hours of, of a story um, like The Mandalorian, I think is is phenomenal. It's great. It's, it's a very exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. So as you're walking, you know, and, and I will quickly say to your point about Solo, um, that not only are we big fans of it in this house as well, my 14-year-old claims that it is his favorite Star Wars movie. I, I, I wouldn't doubt that. I mean, I, I will say this um, as well. As I was walking around um, at Celebration, there were a ton of people in Solo cosplay mm-hmm. from Solo. Um, you know, not old man solo from, from Force Awakens <laughs> or, yeah. you know, there's always going to be a few of those or it's always going to be a, a few of the, uh, the original trilogy Han Solos, but there were a ton of people in the, in the jacket and in the cosplay. And so that was, that was really, um, interesting to me that, that, you know, I think many people really like that movie. I just don't think that to your point, it was marketed well or that it, um, there was enough time yeah. uh, between The Last Jedi and, and Solo. So. Right, right. So uh, I, I don't know, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if you said that you have been there yet, but I know at the very least you've probably visited their booth on the show floor, Galaxy's Edge. Have you been to Anaheim yet? I have not. Um, okay. I, I have a work trip that's coming up in September, and I'm hoping against all hope that I will be able to, uh, to get in and at least experience it a little bit. Um, I've seen, you know, a ton of videos and a ton of photos and a ton of stuff about it. And from everybody's reaction to it, it just looks like it's spectacular. I, I keep wanting to like not watch every single nugget that I've seen every, you know, it's, it's funny. I don't, I don't, I'm part of, and maybe you are as well. Like there's a Facebook group, of course, that was all galaxy's edge. So in the months leading up to it, it was like some construction guy, I think was part of it. Mm-hmm. This is what the scaffolding that went up today. And right, right. And you didn't hail it. And now that it's open, I realize it is basically just a collection of random strangers' photos from Disneyland trips. <laughs> right, right. But they're all so amazing, and everyone is so exciting, and everyone has like, I here, look at that little detail in the background. That uh, I I know that I'm probably spoiling myself so hard for this. But to your point again of saying like, look, it's one thing to read a script or to mm-hmm. hear about the thing and then walk around in it. it. It sounds like it is indeed so, so immersive that you, you just can't believe it when, when you're yeah. there. Yeah. Like, um, there, there again, you know, it's one thing to see a picture of people standing in front of the millennium Falcon, but right. to turn that corner and walk up and see it. Yeah. I, and- I can only imagine. And I cannot wait to experience that in real life. I can't wait to cry openly in the middle of a Disney park. <laughs> it's really here, you guys. Yeah. I think, I think I should have someone doing a reaction video of that. <laughs> um, it, it's, yeah, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. Um, I, I can't wait to just spend days and days and days uh, going through it uh, when, I, when and if I can uh, sometime soon. Yeah. For sure. Um, are, are you, uh, so, so we talked a little bit about spoilers heading into movies before. So, um, so something like Vanity Fair hits, um, mm-hmm. is uh, amazing and gorgeous. It is a tradition dating back to at least episode one. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they're so beautiful. And, and, uh, frankly, I would, uh, hire Annie Leibovitz to like be the cinematographer for any Star Wars movie at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I've never shot a film of, you know, a, a, a single frame of film like that doesn't matter. Clearly. It's fine. It'll clearly. be great. You'll be, you'll be great. Um, so 
so when the Vanity Fair pieces hit, like all of these crazy little details drop that again, you're like, I don't know if I should know all of this right away. Yeah. I trust in the marketing machine that they're like, this is the moment that you can learn about Carrie Russell's character. This is the moment where you can get a name for Richard E. Grant. By the way, it is a new desert planet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what do you, what do you think about all that? Was there anything that you read in there? They're like, what? Um, nothing really surprised me. I, I actually, the biggest surprise was that it was yet another new <laughs> sand planet, desert planet. Um, I mean, there are a lot of desert planets. Apparently so. Galaxy. That is, that is yeah. hard to believe. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, there wasn't anything, you know, there was that, um, there was some supplemental stuff that was published online around uh, some Knights of Ren stuff and mm-hmm. who some, something that may have happened with Knights of Ren things. And then it was then pulled and, and said, Oh, that was, you know, it was a mistake. We didn't, right. we didn't mean it. I swear. Um, so I, I think, but I, I think anyone who is a student of star Wars as, as you or I would, would probably consider ourselves to be, there are certain things that are probably going to happen that we can guess. Sure. Um, just based on like, is Kylo Ren going to be redeemed? Is he not going to be redeemed? What's what's right. Ray going to do? What's going to happen at the very end? I think the biggest surprise and the thing that I'm the most excited about was what was dropped in the trailer with with the Emperor um, and his his somehow somewhat involvement, yeah, uh, and and how they're going to do that. And I think that's that's what I'm most excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the, the Knights of Ren have a little bit of a, what I'll call a, a Boba Fett effect on them. They're like super cool costumes, don't know a thing about them. So we love them. <laughs> sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously I'm interested to see what, what that's all about. But I wasn't, I wasn't um, shocked by anything. And the other thing that I've kind of learned, you know, as you said, those articles have been coming out since 98, 99. Um, with episode one and what you come to realize is that there are a lot of photos that have nothing to do with what happens. For in the- sure. For uh, sure. I, I vividly yeah. remember back in episode one, uh, you know, here's a, we, we can let you know that Warwick Davis is coming back and look at his <laughs> unusual character. Walking yeah. around Mos Espa, like it, it is, you know, and of course then that means this long in the movie. Yeah. Uh, for that character, at least. Yeah, for sure. They're, they're just focusing on, or, or you know, probably the more modern equivalent even is when uh, they did the Force for Change video, right? J.J. Abrams mm. leading into uh, Force Awakens and like, here's this crazy vendor who's in, you know, like with his back. Baba Jojo? <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> Baba Joe. Uh, like, he's going to be, that's going to be the first action. It's huge. I'm going to put him right up on my shelf next to Rick O'Lee. He's going to be the star of this thing. I can't wait to get a tattoo of that. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so for sure, to your point, there's there's plenty of misdirection, I think. Yeah, I mean, Force Awakens, uh, they had um, Gwendolyn Christie with her helmet off as Captain Phasma. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was, that was never going to happen. Sure. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you know, it's, you, we'll see what happens. You, you can't even trust what happens in the trailers anymore, frankly. That's true. That's true. Um, and I, I'm okay with that. It's, I'm not one of those people that's like, that shot wasn't in the movie. Yeah. Right. Um, 
I don't. It does, doesn't matter. I, the, 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 the mood the was there, so yeah. that's fun. Exactly. Yeah. It gave me the feels. It got me to, excited about the movie. I'm okay with it. Yeah. So, so of course, there's all kinds of other random stuff that's going on as well. Uh, there's a Fallen Order video game coming out in November. Um, I do play the the video games a little bit. I'm excited about um, Jedi Fallen Order. It was one of the things that my my nephew was most excited about um, seeing that trailer. Um, and, and being there for that, um, because it's, it, it's always cool to immerse yourself into sure. uh, the star Wars world. And, and now, and, and now with this, this, uh, new game coming out, being a Jedi and, and that is, uh, is always going to be super cool. The thing that I'm struggling not to buy right now is an Oculus Rift. Oh, um, yes. Um, to, to, uh, just to play Vader immortal. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the the episodes that will continue to come out and the content that will co- continue to come out for for that VR platform, so it's it's a real struggle for me to not uh, to not make that purchase. And luckily, I have a wife to keep me uh, <laughs> a little bit more in check for my uh, my needs. So then, as a as a video game player, um, assuming that that maybe you've played this in the past, is it exciting to hear the rumors of a Knights of the Old Republic? script i'm very excited about that um and whether it follows the 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 game which by the way is amazing um that that is probably one of the best star wars stories um that exists in my opinion um when the twist happened in that like it got me and i was playing a game um i was like that's amazing (laughs) um so, so whether that happens or if it's, you know, is it 3,000 years, is it 1,000 years, is it actually an adaptation of Knights of the Old Republic, um, that, that idea excites me. And I think what it excites me the most is that it means we're no longer beholden to um, the, the original characters. And I think that that is an exciting time that we can start this whole new world and all these new characters without um, having to worry about the fans reaction to how is Luke treated? How is Han? Is he in the movie enough? Um, It just, it, it, and it allows it to go in so many different directions without all of that um, uh, baggage and expectations that, that, fans can sometimes bring to those. Sure. It's just a really cool thing to do to go several thousand years back and like, yeah, let's see, let's see how the Jedi started. Let's see yeah. how the Sith started. Let's maybe do a little Darth Bane and throw that in there. Or mm-hmm. you know, let's, let's see what happens. And, and I think if, if it ends up being um, Benioff and Weiss or someone else who does that, I think that's, that's a really rich, smart place to go. Yeah, um, for the Star Wars universe, especially in the movie universe, let let Disney Plus handle a lot of the the more what I'll call nostalgia stuff, mm-hmm. um, and and let the the films kind of become um, stay on the boundaries. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I th- I think that's a that's a good call. I I love uh, I mourn the fact that a Star Wars story movies might mm-hmm. go away because of the, again, as we talked about the perceived failure of, of solo comparatively. Um, but you know, I, I really enjoyed solo. I love rogue one. Um, I love rogue one. but I also do realize that it's going to be diminishing returns for 
every spinoff project to be like, oh, that's how it connects. Like, right. Uh, if, if they don't break the gravitational pull of the original trilogy characters, then they're, they're dead at some point. So, yeah. Exactly. So, go, jumping that far back in the past, like to force a total clean slate, like, you know, it's going to be a stretch for you guys to be like, and here's baby Yoda. <laughs> right. Like that's the, that's the only that's, theoretical connective tissue that you could have other than like, so we're pronouncing this word Jedi. <laughs> All right. Got it. Yeah. So, so what are, what are you most, as we wrap up, what are, what are you most looking forward to of all of this random stuff that we've, that we've talked about? You know, that's a great question. I think, I I think what I am most looking forward to is, is Rise of Skywalker. I think, you know, I, I have always been the movie guy Mm -hmm. um, and loved the, the films and I'm excited to, um, to kind of have been there for all of them um, and see the Skywalker uh, saga end um, in my lifetime um, is, is, is exciting. And I, I think it looks great. I think it's, I, in JJ, I trust. Um, I think, I think he, he did a fantastic job with uh, Force Awakens. I think he's done a fantastic job with other franchises um, that, that he uh, worked on. So I, I'm, I'm excited for Rise of Skywalker and, and sort of the, the nice, hopefully, little bow that gets put on it. And I can say that was, that was a good time to be a Star Wars fan from 77 to 2019. Yeah. I'm going to return you back to the wilds um, you. of Chicago. And um, I'm so glad that we got to catch up. And um, there you have it, people. Uh, we're, we're knee deep in Star Wars. And uh, these two brands are not going to change that fact anytime soon. So uh, all your stores for all the latest Star Wars opinions. Um, all right. Thank you. Thank you. I'll see you soon. I hope. Talk to you soon. All right. Okay. Bye. The DC Comics character, The Flash, has had a long history on the small screen. The 1990 TV series starring John Wesley Shipp raced across screens for 22 episodes, and the current Flash TV series has run for six seasons on the CW and shows no signs of slowing down. Regular viewers know that John has had multiple recurring roles on that show as well, including the characters of Henry Allen and Jay Garrick. Meanwhile, an animated version of The Flash has appeared in a bazillion different animated and video game projects, including Justice League Action, Superman the Animated Series, the Lego Batman 2 video game, and many, many more. And in those cases, and plenty others, The Flash is voiced by actor Charlie Schlotter. Both actors were guests at the Garden State Comic Fest Great Adventure Edition at the end of May, and I had the privilege of hosting a super heroic team-up panel discussion with the two of them in front of the Six Flags and Garden State Comic Fest attendees. Our first guest today is a man who starred on Diagnosis Murder and the Ferris Bueller TV series. He has supplied the voice for a bat station wagon full of animated characters, ranging from Kick Batowski, Suburban Daredevil, to... The Flash, of course, which he has played, I'm estimating, 700 different TV and video game projects. I think he supplied that voice. Please welcome Charlie Schlotter. My other guest is a two-time Daytime Emmy Award winner. You know him from Dawson's Creek, One Life to Live, and of course, 
as the star of the early 90s version of The Flash, this man is still suiting up on The CW on Supergirl, Arrow, and of course, The Flash. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Wesley Shipp. Give it up. <laughs> We're here at Six Flags Great Adventure, of course, surrounded by DC Comics themed attractions, although I don't understand why there's not a Flash speed coaster. Guys, Hello? can we get the people in R&D on this one? Can we work on that? Have, have you guys been having a good time? Do you get Absolutely. to do any other rides, or are you just schmoozing? And... I had a ride on the Jersey Turnpike <laughs> coming here, and the potholes <laughs> made it really that much exciting. Greater. It's yeah. bumpy. bumpy. Yeah, I intend to do that later. I really want to get into the Justice League yeah. uh, ride. That yeah. looks good. Has anyone done Justice League? And you, you live it? Is it great? Whoa! No one threw up. No one. All threw right. Up. Le leave it. Monster right. sickness. The, oh, the, fr the front row cool. is giving us an extensive Yelp review right now of the Justice League attraction. <laughs> well, let me tell you guys. Here's what happens. All right. So obviously, we're going to talk a lot about the Flash and all things Flash. But I'd like to start with your origin stories a yes. little bit and your early days in the business because you've both got such amazing credits, and I, and I want to touch on those a little bit, John. Let's start with you. One of your first on-camera gigs was on the daytime soap opera, Guiding Lights, right? Yes. Which is a fairly intense start to a career because soap operas move fast. There's a lot, of a, a lot of memorization in a short amount of time. You set up, you shoot it, you're moving on. What was that like to start out with? First, it was great fun because I've been in New York for two and a half years doing the actor-waiter table thing. I still have nightmares about all the food is coming up in the kitchen and I don't remember what table it goes to, you know. <laughs> Most terrifying job I've ever had. Been on a Broadway stage, thousands of people. No, waiting tables. I don't have that kind of multitasking mind, you know. What was your question? <laughs> Who well are played, you? Mr. Ship. Yeah. Well played. Uh, when, uh, oh, it, daytime. Was it, yeah, yeah, daytime. So I you, did, you go from stage to daytime. Yeah, I did, uh, I did Showtime's first original movie for television. It was called The Dirtiest Show in Town. Now, it was part of Best of Off-Broadway series that had Passion of Dracula, Me and My Girl, and The Dirtiest Show in Town, which was a big hit off-Broadway. And my mom said, of the three, my mo preacher's wife, mom, she said, did you have to pick The Dirtiest Show in Town? <laughs> I said, that's what was offered. And then the next month, I got good guy Kelly Nelson on Guiding Light for four years. Nice. Excellent. Um... Charlie, you attended Ithaca College, and I bring this up simply because I also attended Ithaca College oh. shortly after you. So I think that that means that this uh, calls for the uh, traditional singing of the school anthem together. Let's do it! Oh, no, we, we don't know. I, it oh doesn't exist. That's not a thing. I was just going to fake it. I was going to make one up. As sure, we, exactly. You know. we, we could improvise Ithaca, one. Oh, Ithaca, Ithaca come you were the a party menorah. school. Right. So, so, Charlie, your career also started with a bang when you starred opposite a showbiz god, George Burns. And, and I call him a showbiz god. I should just call him showbiz god because, of course, he was one of the most popular big screen portrayers of God. Yeah. Um, your In movie... fact, when, when I met George Burns, he was sitting on a, a seat about this high and he was drinking tea out of a mug that said, God. <laughs> Perfect. You are God. Nice. As if he needed the ego boost at that point in his career, right? Um, the movie, of course, was 1988's 18 Again. Uh, tell us about how that opportunity came to be and, and what it is like having second billing to a legend. Yeah, it, it was pretty nerve-wracking when you work with someone who's like 100 years old. First, you know, you don't want to break them. You have to be very gentle. 
Um, but he was, George Burns was a, a living legend and I always say it was like working with uh, Santa Claus. Where, you know, because he had that magic about him. He was, these kids don't remember, but it's like a Dick Van Dyke, it's like the Mary Poppins character. Just a very, just a beautiful, beautiful guy. And, and, and I was really lucky. It was one of those things where they just needed a, a guy who kind of resembled George as a, as a young man. And, and I was lucky enough to be that guy. You're just going to sell it as because you looked a little bit like George Burns. Yeah, That's you know, you yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, yeah, you see, kids, George Burns was 350 years old. He was a comedian. Um, so how many cigars did you smoke with George? He, oh, well, you know, it's so funny. Everyone thought, because this guy, George Burns, for the kid, he used to walk around with these cigars, and he never really smoked. I mean, we just puff on it a little bit. It, really? it was more of a prop. It, it was, was always prop more of a prop. at that point. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. You also, uh, as, as you mentioned, had the good fortune to spend many years with another showbiz legend, uh, the indefatigable Dick Van Dyke, uh, as a regular on Diagnosis Murder on CBS. How, how long does it take before you can uh, do scenes with Dick Van Dyke and not just stare at him wide-eyed mouthing, whatever you say, Mr. Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, it is true because he is. He's another guy who was a legend and another guy that uh, when I was your age, I just grew up loving everything that he did. And even though we had done this show for like 10 seasons or whatever it was, there were times where I'd be sitting next to him and you'd think, oh my God, I'm with like this living legend and you have to pinch yourself. because, And he's a wonderful guy and he's a friend, but still you're like, you're Dick Van Dyke. It's... <laughs> right. You danced with the penguins in that movie. You danced with penguins, yes. Will you clean my chimney, please? Um, what, what did you learn from, from these two legends? Did they give you any advice? Do, they, uh, do you have stories with them that, that we may live vicariously through you? You know, it's, it's, people do ask that, and neither one of these guys ever said, hey, Charlie, I want to teach you about life. I want to teach you about the business. They never do that. You learn from these guys just by being a student by, by watching them and observing them and seeing why everybody loves them and, and what makes them a great worker. Um, so it wasn't necessarily their talent always that, that you learned from, but, but their work ethic, going to school on time, being, you know, just being a good person. Uh, yeah. I love, I love it. I know that you guys are constantly getting the question, advice to you, advice to you, advice, and, uh, and feel, and that's often the answer, right? It's a little bit of like chest. Just yeah. be a good person. Don't yeah. be a jerk and do Just your work. Just don't be the guy who sucks. You know, be, <laughs> be a good dude. <clears throat> Meanwhile, also on CBS a few years earlier, consult your local listings, The Flash made his on-screen debut starring John Wesley Shipp. Uh, woo! Woo indeed! Thank you. Thank you. Woo indeed. It's, it's probably worth mentioning, like putting it in context, that the fact that superhero properties were not really a thing so much when The Flash debuted. I mean, now they're the dominant genre that runs Hollywood, right? But in 1990, not so much. Um, I know that Tim Burton's Batman had come out a year or less before The Flash debuted. Um, and there's a, there's a little bit of influence, I think, in like when you watch the pilot. But um, I, I'd have to think that after that success that maybe the folks at DC or Warner Brothers or, or whoever were feeling both excited and maybe reticent or, you know, I'm not sure what the tone was well, like. Well, the whole, the whole sort of uh, zeitgeist around comic book sh shows and how to tell them for adults was changing in the late 80s. And The Flash for TV, Warner Brothers The Flash and Tim Burton's Batman were in development at the same time. And they both reflected the more modern sensibility around, no, wait a minute. We don't, we don't want to spoof these shows. We want to respect the pop cultural art form, 
we want to let the audience at large know what you guys always knew, you know, that these are stories to be taken seriously. These, in my case, my flash was the unblessed son of a cop family where real cops work the streets, you know, who's... Uh, his older brother is the favorite son, and he's relegated to being a CSI before CSI was cool, by the way. <laughs> and then he gets these extraordinary powers, and he can't tell anybody. So I was like, and then his brother gets killed, and he decides to use them to avenge the death of his brother, who was his father's favorite, and he can't tell his dad about his powers that would make his dad so proud. Now, once I was sold on it, once I found that out, and once I found out, they promised me I wouldn't be running around in a pair of red tights. I came to uh, resent that later, because the <laughs> costume was so hot, but, and that it, it would be taken seriously, that they had no intention of spoofing the material. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, as I mentioned, there's definitely a little bit of, it's fascinating to hear that they're in development at the same time. Yeah. I mean, that's really swinging for the fences for, for Warner Brothers at that time. I mean, I don't know if there's been an example like that since, you know, the early days of maybe the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe when they're like, we have committed to four movies and then something called the Avengers. Oh God, I hope this works, <laughs> right? I, I love the... I love that also that you brought up that before CSI was cool because watching that pilot again, for sure, it seems like, why are they ragging on this guy so much for being like the science cop? Like, isn't that a, oh, right. That's not so much a thing then. So I mentioned there's, a, there's a, a definitely a fair amount of Batman influence going on in the pilot, um, uh, dark streets with steam venting all over and uh, a music score by Danny Elfman. Um, along in fact, Carmen Infantino, I heard, complained really that... He says, why are they always shooting at night? Why are the streets always wet? As the flash isn't supposed to be dark. <laughs> we always had fire trucks at all of our nighttime 3, 5 a.m. shoots to wet everything down. And the answer was, when anything has spent a uh, good time being spoofed and not taken seriously, we felt that we had to go dark and ground it in grits so that we could grab the audience and say, no, take these story seriously. Sorry to interrupt you, but... No, 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 no. That, that makes a lot of sense. It was just Carmen Infantino's birthday in the last oh, really? couple of days, so we remember him fondly, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, you know, that's, that's interesting uh, also in that, of course, comic book fans uh, of, of a certain age also know that, that that's the direction that, that the industry was going in because uh, Dark Knight had just come out a few years before that. So for sure, I mean, no one can blame anyone for taking like, I think we need to make this nighttime and dark and wet the streets and biker gangs and yeah. Uh, so you mentioned the suit. A second ago, John, I want to I want to talk about the suit. Your very very muscly suit. Yes. Uh, I mean, even Christopher Reeve didn't have supplemental musculature, shall we say, in Superman. And the funny thing is, you were already clearly in great shape. I mean, it's not like you're walking in and like, oh, we got to do something for the, for this guy. Uh, what what did you think? So you mentioned, as long as I don't wear red tights. What did you think when when they said, here's your suit? Well, they said we're going to spend a hundred thousand dollars in 1990 to build four suits. Uh, an Oscar winner, Bob Short, is going to design it. It's going to be a high-tech construction. Um, and it was quite, it was quite a suit. Uh, it wasn't exactly user-friendly. It, it was very hot and had to be glued to my face. But nobody wants to hear someone who's been fortunate enough to play one of these parts whine about how difficult my suit was. But 
there were challenges. Um, but Bob Short correctly said, you know, you could take Arnold Schwarzenegger and put him in tights and it would flatten you out. Uh, spandex flattens you out. I don't care how defined you are. I mean, yeah, I had scenes without my shirt on in The Flash. So if I hadn't been fit, it would have been, you know, too mind-blowing. But yeah, it was thousands and thousands of dollars in, and, and crew hours uh, building that suit out of individually sculpted foam latex muscles, glued on a spandex suit, flocked with a red material, and then sprayed with a sealant because I was sweating through the muscles, which I thought looked cool. You know, I'd look down and I'd be sweating. I was like, this is great. And they said, no, it's not in the comic book. So they sprayed a sealant and kept all the, I was the sponge after Whoa. about 45 minutes. How long, how long did it take to get in and get out? It didn't really take long except for the gluing. The hardest things were they glued it to my face. They take it off with acetone, put makeup on for Barry put that back on so and they couldn't clean them yeah there was that so they'd spray them with Lysol and hang them in my trailer and they'd still be wet and sticky at 5 a.m. the next morning so you know wow. nobody wanted to be near me after about the fourth episode right what and quit show business <laughs> what? I, it's funny as you're telling this story I keep seeing Charlie's face wincing like oh thank God I've got the voice over flash thank <laughs> Although I do keep a costume in my car, hey. just in case they... Also sprayed with Lysol, also glued on, just for kicks. Wearing it now. Um, <laughs> uh, John, I really, I love career narratives uh, like the one you've enjoyed with The Flash, because I'm guessing that when your Flash wrapped up in 91, you had no inkling that you would ever be so deep back in the DC live-action universe. I mean, a cameo, maybe, but holy smokes. Uh, it, I mean, that, I, I see you nodding. That's got to be fair to say. Yeah, no, after the last shot of The Trial of the Trickster, Mark Hamill and I were in southeast L.A. At trying to get the last shot in, of the series in before dawn, and they yelled, cut. And I threw the wings in the air and swore I'd never get back into another superhero suit because it was just a gr it was the hardest physical thing I've ever done. The number of hours, the kinds of hours, all night long, the, addition, the additional thing of, of working in the suit. My problem was keeping weight on, you know? Um, and I swore I'd never get back into it. Well, never say never. You know, 24 years later, they asked me to come back to the show, but they asked me to come back as a new version of Henry Allen, which was much darker, you know? Wrongfully convicted of killing Nora in front of a 10-year-old Barry and sentenced 14th year in Iron Heights. I thought, that's the part I want. It's different enough. It's dark enough. But then at the end of the second season, surprise, they did, they did a bait and switch where, you know, yeah. I came back. Can I interrupt just at this point and just introduce my friends? P please do. The most amazing. The smoke. Would, smoke and uh, Dia, would you come up here? Oh, yeah. This is Adia cosplay and the smoke. I just wanted you to see who I was, who I'm supposed to be. Now, this is, this is as Jay Garrick, but these are great friends of mine, and I just thought, look, you guys look so fantastic. I just wanted everybody to see you. And now you'll have a visual frame of reference for, for what I should be looking like at this moment as, as we continue the talk. You guys are going back to your table, and they will be there all afternoon. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, thank you for coming up here. Yes, definitely go visit them. Cosplay as it is meant to be done, for sure. 
Uh, John, is it true that when, when you got the call to come back, so of course you mentioned your, your Barry's father, a little bit darker. At, at first, was your involvement positioned like as a little bit of a mystery role? Like were people not really talking about that? Did I read that right? Yeah, I mean, I have to give uh, uh, um, uh, Ben and, uh, and uh, Suzanne, Suzanne Gomez and Ben Brown, their uh, publicity at Warner Brothers and CW respectively. They, the way they managed the rollout in the age of social media, first of all, the announcement went out that I'd be on the new Flash. A big ripple effect on that. Nobody knew. I was shooting the role in Vancouver, and there was still wild speculation about who I was going to be. As that ripple died down, they announced, and he's going to be Henry Allen. And so then the ripple comes up again. I mean, they have so well managed uh, the publicity and the rollout around this show that I was very chagrined when I thought people knew the name Legends of Tomorrow. And in a Q&A, I said, of course, there's this new show, Legends of Tomorrow. And uh, everybody with their cell phones went, their eyes got this big, and then all their heads went <laughs> down like this. And I got a call from Suzanne Gomez at the CW saying, um, John, we haven't announced the name of the new show yet. Could you cool it at your I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, because they, were, they do such a great job yeah. with managing that whole thing, which is brand new to me. Yeah. Well, uh, when I'm trying to find out what I'm getting for Christmas, I'm going to call you first so that you can let me know before the rest of the world does, John, and before I do. So, so even for regular viewers of the show, your character, and as we're alluding to, characters... Uh, are, are, uh, it can get a little complicated if you're just jumping into the show a little bit. For, for the uninitiated, uh, and there, there might be two in this room, but nonetheless, can you explain your role in the current DC TV universe where uh, when, when Henry's story wrapped up, suddenly a new character came in, and that character was? Jay Garrick, who, who we just saw a fine example of yeah. on, on stage uh, in the uh, person of the smoke. Yeah, I didn't know that was going to happen. Everybody said, Jay Garrick, Jay Garrick, Jay Garrick. At the beginning, I was like, no, that would seem too on the nose. 24 years later, I don't want to be in a superhero suit competing with myself 24 years earlier, running around on stage with a bunch of, with a bunch of great-looking 20-somethings in a superhero suit. That was just not... So when I found they were offering Henry, I was really pleased. I figured I'd get one, maybe two seasons as Henry. Well, at, at, at the end of the second season, I go back to shoot four episodes in a row. I said, okay, here it comes. Henry's going, you know. And then I was having a costume fitting, and I was putting on this prison suit, but it was brown, and it was shredded. And I was like, okay, that's weird. Henry's out of prison. Well, maybe it's a flashback or a dream sequence. And the costumer said, of course, you'll be fitted for the iron mask separately. You and I was know. like, the what? And they go, oh my God, you don't know. I didn't tell you. I didn't tell you. And then it was Jesse and Grant who said, you know, you're going to be playing the real Jay Garrick, right? And I was like, what? And then I had this conversation with Greg Berlanti, who I've worked with since Dawson's Creek. And I said, I'm hearing rumors about roles I may or may not be playing going forward. And he spun out this amazing story where at the end of the penultimate episode, I would be killed as his father which enraged fans. I got so many uh, tweets and emails saying, we're never watching the show, show again. I'm like, hold your fire, hold your fire. And then in the final show of that season, I'm revealed as the man in the iron mask who turns out to be not only Barry Allen's father's Earth 3 doppelganger, are you still with me? 
but the real Jay Garrick, which is who y'all wanted me to play to begin with. So I was like, hats off to you, Greg. You know, what an amazing story to be a part of. For sure. It's, uh, it, it's deeply cool. It's really satisfying. Um, Charlie, do you remember what your first gig was, the first time that you stepped behind the mic as The Flash, and, and how that came to be? And I will admit, I am waiting to hear the words casting director Andrea Romano as part of this story, <laughs> which may not be true, but uh, every, every time I talk to people who do a lot of superhero voiceover, inevitably those two words come out of their mouth. Yeah, Andrea, is it? Yeah, Andrea Romano is, uh, she's a legend in, in cartoons. She's, uh, she's directed every great cartoon you can ever imagine. Uh, I had the fortune of working with her, and yeah, she's the one who, who asked for me, and I don't know why. I must have been, I was doing another TV show, and I think she just, you know, they hear voices. They're, they're, uh, they've just got these trained ears, and like, that, that voice could kind of go well with this character. And uh, yeah, it was really wonderful. And that first episode I did, I remember I was sitting across from Marion Ross, who was Mrs. Cunningham from Happy Days, uh, and, and just really fun people. Uh, what, what do you think, what qualities make up your Flash? So we've talked a lot about the, the somewhat darker turn of the 1990s Flash. The current Flash is similar-ish in tone. Um, your Flash is probably a little, I mean, there's so, so many uh, projects, but... Your Flash is probably a little bit different, a little bit more lighthearted. How would you describe your Flash? Uh, yeah, I, I think my, my Flash has always just been like a little bit more impish, a little bit more uh, snide, a, you know, a little more tongue-in-cheek. Um, I don't know, they just kind of wanted a bit of a wise guy who can speak really fast, which I can't do very well right today, but at some point, maybe. <laughs> After lunch. <laughs> I, you know, I, I keep joking about you playing the character on hundreds of different shows and video games um, since 1997. In your experience, do, do different directors uh, have different approaches or different visions for, for what they want from the character? Um, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that on the TV show, it's sort of locked in. Everyone more or less knows what they want from The Flash, what they want from Henry. Um, but when the cartoons are totally different, when the video games are totally different teams, uh, have you found a, a conflict in what they're looking for versus what you might bring? And, and, and honestly, have you ever found yourself thinking, I'm not sure that The Flash would say that necessarily. Yeah, I, I th you know, what's funny is that in cartoons, well, when you're on camera, you are, not that you're locked in, but it's like, you're the guy. This, this whole persona of John is, is the guy. In Flash, it is. It's very audible. It's very, what, what do we want this guy to sound like? And, you know, it's, done, it's recycled so many times um, that when a director calls you in, it's usually because they want what you've done before, which is nice. If they don't want what you've done before, they hire somebody else. I'm lucky. I think I'm the most recorded Flash at this point. So, you know, I get the call every now and then to come in and, and do another Flash thing. But yeah, there's always some director who's grown up with his own view of what the, or what the Flash should be. And he says, yeah, I want a guy who's maybe a little warmer than Charlie or a little funnier than Charlie or taller. I can't imagine someone being taller than me. Um, a little bit. Uh, very, so, yeah. It's an important aspect for voiceover, too, exactly. the height of the performer. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's their right. It's their baby. It's their creation. And it's like how you guys all think of the Flash. And, and if you get a chance to direct it, you would get to pick your Flash. And, and no one should begrudge you of that. You should be able to do that. The, the character of the Flash is coming up quickly on his 80th anniversary. Uh, and of course, he's still going strong in comics, on screens large and small, in animation, in live action. Uh, what, what do you guys think 
is what, it, what is it about the character that after 80 years remains so appealing to so many generations of fans? And this is, of course, like the third big DC character, at least, to keep hitting this anniversary. We just hit Superman's 80th and Batman's 80th, and, and now Flash is up next. Wonder Woman has got to be in this mix pretty soon also. What, what is it about this character that people still love? It's the suit, dude. <laughs> it's the red suit with the bolt, right? You're right. See ya. Good night. <laughs> And thank you for coming. And good night. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's also the 30th anniversary of what they call the OG Flash on CBS. Oh, OG. OG That's what they Flash. call it on, uh, on uh, CBS. This September 20th, it'll be 30, 30 years ago. Boy, wow. do I feel old. And Man. of course, it's had a whole new you know, uh, life with, yeah. the, with the advent of the real show. But I think it's what people tell me because there was a movie that they made in which Barry Allen was not a Barry Allen that I thought of as Barry Allen. We'll just say that. And I have asked fans, what is it about the character that draws you to this character? And it's, it, part of it is he's, he's not really complicated. He's a regular guy who gets extraordinary abilities. He honestly wants to do the right thing. I say, particularly about Grant Gustinsbury, I say, you know, his heart is always in the right place and his head is just trying to catch up, you know? And I think that's what, I mean, it's easy to imagine yourself to identify with the character like that, you know? And uh, at least that's what fans have told me that, that attracts them, sure. specifically to Barry. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, in regards to the many other credits on your resumes, I'd, I'd like to play a little game with the audience now, if, if you two are on board, if this sounds all right. Great. Uh, it doesn't involve too many cans of tomatoes. You're not going to make us it. race each other around the no, building. I will not either. make you race. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, no, Until the end. I concede. All right, so I need, I need an adult volunteer from the audience. I need a grown-up-sized person who uh, you are close enough. Come on up here, Star Labs. You are making a, just got to plug in the electronics. We got some of these. Going to charge while I'm gone. Come on. Oh, my gosh. You're, I'm, I'm definitely not going to make anyone run around now. She's, uh. That's she's, how she broke her foot, by the way. <laughs> by chasing a puppy. We're, we're, we're never going to get story. the deposit back if you fall off this stage. All right. Come on here. Come on over here. You can have, uh, you can have my stool. What's your name? Lexi. Lexi? Give it up for Lexi. She has no idea what's going to happen, and she still volunteered to come up here to limp up on stage with a broken leg. Uh, Lexi, Charlie, John, John, Lexi, Charlie, John, Lexi, Lexi, John. Okay, great. So uh, here's what we're going to do. Um, Lexi, where are you from? Uh, New Jersey. I've heard of it. South Jersey. South Jersey, also what familiar exit? with it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and who's your favorite Flash? Don't answer that. Oh, wait. oh my gosh, that could have gone so wrong. Lexi. All right, so we're going to play a game called... You can sit down. You've broken... I've been sitting all day. <laughs> She's been sitting all day. This is her secret origin. We're watching it right now. She's going to get a TV show. Uh, and so, so we're going to play a game called Charlie or John. Charlie or John. Here's how this is going to work. Uh, I'm going to give you the title of a TV show or a movie, and you tell me whether it's one of Charlie's credits or it's one of John's credits, okay? And then maybe Charlie and John will let us know uh, who owns that one a little bit. If we remember. Project. I was going to say, if we actually know, <laughs> we'll, whatever they say is right. I've taken the most obscure credits on your IMDb pages, gentlemen. All right, that sounds pretty easy, right, Lexi? Sounds good? 
Okay, great. Yeah, she says with a question mark at the end. Sure, let's begin. All right, so, so let's start nice and easy. We'll see if you were, were paying attention earlier. One of these gentlemen starred in a TV version of Ferris Bueller. Who was it? John. Oh, Lexi. Oh, Lexi. Wow, and there were 13 full episodes of that show. <laughs> so you would have thought... That's okay. That, that, of course, would be Charlie. That was the sample round. That one doesn't even count. It's not on the invisible scoreboard. It's okay. Get, get to the lightning round. <laughs> get to the lightning round. Charlie, I, I do want it. Oh. He did that. Oh, yes, it happened. It was bound to happen. Uh, I do want to know a little bit about, about how, how Ferris uh, Bueller came about. Because just as you do a pretty good George Burns, you did a pretty good Matthew Broderick. And uh, you could wear a sweater vest like no one's business. Sure. You know, that came about because NBC wanted to make money. They wanted to capitalize on a really good show, called a movie called Ferris Bueller, and they did just the opposite by making a series <laughs> called Ferris Bueller. We, all of us have regrets. That's one of them. Thank you for reminding me. Have a great day today. <laughs> Enjoy lightning loops. You're going to love the rest of this game then. If, like the uh, old people are like, I remember that ride. Yeah, right? For, for some of us, for sure, it's this... Crazy little pop culture nugget, absolutely. That uh, it's it's fascinating to watch. It's uh, readily available on YouTube until Charlie smashes every link, breaks every. It was link. actually it was Jennifer Aniston. You you've heard of her, a little actress on Friends, little show called Friends. That sure. was her big break, actually. That was her first show. Too bad nothing ever happened out with her. I know. That's, so you can see shame. none of us went anywhere. She disappeared into the ether right after that. All right. So now we're gonna we're gonna start for real now, Lexi. Okay, ready? All right. The never-ending story. To the next chapter. Who was it? Charlie. It was not Charlie. That would have been... <laughs> I love that there's a never-ending story with a two. Two. What? Yeah. Exactly. Part two? I thought and, it was never-ending. And the fact that it has a subtitle called The Next Chapter, it's sort of like saying The Never-Ending Story 2, it's not the first one again. That would be redundant, just in case you were confused. Never-ending story two. Who were you in Never-ending story two, John? I was Sebastian's father, uh, played by Jonathan Brandis, who also did one or two episodes of Flash 1990. Oh. Yeah, he nice. was. He was a great kid. I liked him a lot. Yeah, yeah. Sequest, yeah. absolutely. Sequest. Start on Sequest yeah. DSV for the purists like myself. Yes. <laughs> uh, Excellent, excellent. All right, so uh, we, now we're really going to start for real, Lexi. Here, here we go, first Two one. Warm Police Academy, mission to Moscow. Was it Charlie or John? Charlie. It was Charlie. It was. Yes, out of applause. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. Uh, this is turning into one of those bad episodes of This Is Your Life. <laughs> man. That's how I roll, man. That's how I roll. Um, so uh, was, this, was this like Police Academy? Are we like in the double digits of the series? No, it was point? still in the single digits. <laughs> but this was called Police Academy Mission to Moscow. It was actually the seventh in the, in the series. Okay. The final nail in the coffin. <laughs> oh, wow. It was. was it was the last was the one. Yeah. They didn't even number it. It was that. That's high. like people ask me, what soaps have I been on? I said, all the ones that are no longer on the air. <laughs> It hurts. It hurts. Uh, all right. Here we go. Next one. Miss Castaway and the Island Girls, Charlie or John? 
I don't know. She just turned the word John into a five-syllable word. Charlion. Charlion. That's right, Charlie. Yay. All right, so Miss Castaway and the Island Girls, I was fascinated by the cast. I'm so sorry. I love you, Charlie. Uh, I've got quality body of work. <laughs> um, so many odd people in this movie. Yeah. Who? Eric Roberts was the lead sure. in that. I was, you know. But they said, hey, do you want to do... I did this movie. It was really horrible. They said to me, it was supposed to be like six or eight weeks in Atlantis. You know, and I thought, yeah, I'll yeah. do anything. Give me a... It was like two weeks in Oxnard, California. It was the worst <laughs> experience of my life. But Eric Roberts, who I loved, I was such a big fan. He was doing it. I said, yeah, I'll do it. It was, it was terrible. It was terrible. But there were, there were crazy people in yeah. that show. Yeah. Michael uh, Jackson. Michael, Michael Jackson, Jackson was in, was in it. Crazy. Yeah, yeah he was in uh, Wow. All right. Uh, I've got two more. This one is called Second to Die. Is it Charlie or John? Second to Die. John. That was John. That was oh, me. yeah. Yes. She's on a roll now. <laughs> there are thumbs up. Uh, excellent. Second to Die. That's an intense title, John. Yeah, we had uh, uh, quite a cast, actually. Erica, I was opposite Erica Liniak. And uh, uh, um, uh, I've forgotten all the other names. Sorry, it's That's okay. so long ago. That's all right. Listen, I know I'm 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 pulling them out of the uh, the mothball collection in some cases for sure. All right, I've got one more. This is the last one for all the Batmobiles. Please let it be John. <laughs> <laughs> this was a show that took place at Ithaca College freshman year. No. Uh, this title is called Golden Shoes. Golden Shoes. Charlie or John? Charlie. I'm giving you the answer. I'm pointing to John, and you pick me. Couldn't you, couldn't you tell that by would my be, shoes? That would be John. And, uh, and who do you, what role do you play in Golden Shoes, John? What role? I am the, wait for it. President of the United States yeah, of America. That seems about right. <laughs> that seems about right. Wonderful. Well, you know what? At the end of regulation play, Lexi, you're, uh, you're let's say, 100%. Why not? Give it up for Lexi, ladies and gentlemen. Lexi, Give it up your for prize. Lexi. There you oh, go. You get yeah. water. You get water. There we go. That's, uh, you couldn't ask for more on a hot day. She's still here. I don't know. I don't know what. Okay. Here, here we go. Here Awkward. we go. Oh, my goodness. Lexi, let's get you off here in, in one. Uh, she's going she's gonna to take the water slide off the stage. Where's her Uber? Fantastic. <laughs> right, should we call you a lift? Uh, you, you know, you, you've both got so many performance credits, and you're welcome for me digging out the most horrifying ones. Uh, and, and then many, many, many episodes within those credits, you've worked with so many different directors. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the importance of the director. We sort of got on that a little bit regarding, like, ongoing roles, but... Uh, how good directors can raise you up and how bad ones affect the process. Do you have any, any experiences with someone who's like, boy, you really took this to a higher place and other times like, oh, I can't walk away from this soon enough. Yeah, I've been a professional actor for 40 years. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it can make a huge difference. But it's, I, on behalf of the directors, I have to say, directing series TV is a real challenge because you want to come in, you want to put your stamp on it, you want to do something creative and not just copy what's been done, but you're dealing with a f cast full of actors who have brought these characters to life, who know their continuity, have a pretty good idea of what they would or wouldn't do. I'm going to give a recent example. Uh, in the Elseworlds crossover, 
uh, last fall. Uh, there was a scene uh, where they brought back... Okay, this is a spoiler for somebody who hasn't seen season five, so plug your ears. But they bring back Flash 90 in, uh, so in, cool. in the Elseworlds crossover in a, uh, a reconstruction of the original suit. And, uh, and uh, they had the destruction of Earth 90. La Monica was up there uh, uh, destroying, destroying the Earth. And I had one way that I thought of playing it, you know, which is, the line was, why are you doing this? And I was so pissed off, it was coming out like, why are you doing this? You know, and Tom Cavanaugh, who directed that sequence, came to me and he said, you know, basically, these weren't his exact words, but look around, there were superheroes dead everywhere. You know, the whole planet was bombed. I'm dragging myself through the mud. He said, what if, and I love those two words, what if you can hardly get, you drag yourself out and you can hardly get it out? Why are you doing this? You know, with just the last ounce of energy that you have. And something as little as that, you know, transformed that moment, you know. So a good director, you know, I've been saved from myself by good directors more times than I can count. I have also had to say to directors, my character wouldn't do that. And here's why. And most directors, if you rationally explain it and you're not serving your own ego, they're fine with it, you know. <laughs> for sure, for sure, yeah. You're, you're nodding your head as well. I'm, I'm, it it you, is, yeah. it's the same thing what John was saying. A, a great director will won't point to the places and tell you just to stand there and say it this way or that way or give you readings. They, they ask you questions. They want you to discover it. So it, whatever you're delivering as an actor is, is organic and it's you and it's something that's true to your heart and, and it's a personal thing that you bring to it. But like John said also, you know, great actors save us from ourselves because as actors we come in there and we think we've got these glorious ideas and this should be, it's like, slow down, little man. <laughs> Let's just, you know, contain this and try it this way and that way. And, yeah. you know, and, and, a, and a great director will let you fall on your butt and, and be an idiot. But then they'll say, now let's try it my way. What if? What if? Here, yeah, let me. Great idea, John. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I love that. You know, earlier uh, we, we've been joking about you guys running around the theater. You are not going to run around the theater, but I will take the bullet and run around the theater because I want to give you guys the opportunity to ask all those questions that I'm not thinking about, the Flash super fans out there that are thinking like, Brad, Brad, great. All right, George Burns story is terrific. I want to know about something very specific. So if you've got a question for one of these two, there, there we go, put your hand in the air, and I will run to you, and we will get into it. Hi there, what's your name? Oh. My name is Jacob. And uh, Jacob, uh, who's your question for? John. Right. Yes. Let her rip. So when you first appeared as Henry on the new version of The Flash, how did you come up with the way of portraying him as the kind, loving, always okay father to then turn darker down the road? I am... Um I figured when I came on The Flash, my job was twofold. The audience, you guys are incredibly loyal. In a way, you're like what I remembered the daytime TV audience being. You know the lineage and the history and the continuity and the versions of this character as well or better than I do. And, uh, and so, um, what was your question? 
Go. Oh, so I figured one of my jobs was to graft my audience. When I walked onto the set, I brought Flash 1990 with me, you know, to the new effort. My second and most important role, I felt, as soon as I had seen Grant Gustin's work and saw what a wonderful actor he is, there's like no acting. What we think of as no acting, which is really the purest form of acting. You know, he's emotionally very available. He's vulnerable. He's funny. You know, he's really a great flash for our time. And as soon as I met him, and he knew I was the flash, I knew he was what some of his insecurities, hopes, and dreams might be. And I just felt my job, I literally imagined going into that phone booth and picking up and trying both as a father and as a colleague to mirror back to him all of the wonderful qualities that I saw in this young actor undertaking this enormous role for the first time. And that lent itself to a father bringing his son along in his transition from getting these powers, which freak him out, you know, nobody believes, to being comfortable assuming his role in life as a superhero. And uh, I just think so much of our homework was done for us in that way. The father-son relationship on screen, uh, off-screen, off we're colleagues, we're just colleagues, you know, but was kind of built in. A lot of our homework was done for us. And you put that together with the brilliant writing of those father-son scenes. Everyone is different and everyone we get, and people say, how did you work up the emotion? I said, the problem was not letting the emotion run away with us, you know, because they were so heartfelt and so meaningful. Now, when I came out of the suit as Jay Garrick, I knew I had to make him different. I had long talks with Andrew Kreisberg. If I came out of, this, out of, out of the uh, Iron Mask and was Henry Allen, Where's the pathos in that? So I felt while honoring the Jay Barry relationship that you guys are the guardians of the flame of and have always liked, I felt I had to start Jay back here, behind it, a colder version. This is my speed force, all right? I'm no longer the soft shoulder for you to lean on, you know? Yeah, yeah, I get it. I look like your dad. Sorry about that. But here's the deal. What kind of superhero are you going to be? Are you going to throw a fit and uh, change the timeline every time you have a fight with your girlfriend, because that ain't it, you know. And resetting that cooler character was a challenge. I remember we were running the lines of that cafe scene, you know, where I literally say, yeah, I'm your father's uh, doppelganger. Sorry about that. You know, and Grant just started laughing. And I said, what's wrong with you? It's just so weird. I said, this completely different energy coming at me. And then we had to work our way so that by the time I took Wally's place in the Speed Force, for the first time I felt you saw uh, Jay and Barry's version of a little bit of the intimacy that Henry and Barry had. Does that make sense? Right on. Well done. That's right, clap for this man. You know, you know, one of the cool things that I really appreciate about, this isn't even a scene for you necessarily, but I think it's when you came out of, out of the mask the first time. It's a great Grant scene, is that, and, and I mean this uh, as a compliment to the whole show, that they took the time to, to let, uh, let him go out in the hallway and be really broken down and sort of, like it's a sensitive moment in, in a superhero show that we're allowed to see this lead character get be very it right. tender. My first line coming out of the Iron Mask was, because they're all looking at me like I have two heads. 
And I said, is something wrong? And I said, that sounds like Henry. And so we batted it back and forth. And so when I came out of the iron mask, I'm looking at them. They look like I have two heads. And I go, what? <laughs> you know, and that was my J. And I took it from there. Yeah, but you're right. One thing yeah. the new show really gets right, and I'll shut up, is character <laughs> and relationships. Yeah, absolutely. All right, hello. Hi. Um, the Trickster episodes were released as a movie in Europe. Do you think they should have been released as a movie in the States? Ooh, re-editing re episodes to be, to be released as a movie. Trickster episodes were actually released they were. in Europe as a theatrical film. Right. And, our, have, and our pilot. Sh should they have recut or done more and re-released -re it in the States? You know, there was a big argument at Warner Brothers because they intended to release our hour and a half pilot as a movie in Europe. But Warner Home Entertainment had negotiated the rights. So they were not going to give those rights up. They did end up editing the two Trickster episodes together with Mark Hamill and our hour and a half pilot. And you're right, they released them uh, in Europe as, as a movie. And I wish they could have done that here. But, you know, the business. All righty, right here in the front row. What, uh, for John, what got you started in acting? I, I can't see you. Where are you? Right, right here. Oh, my God. This is, he was giving us the Yelp review about the Justice League ride for oh earlier. God. That's right. Uh, so, so say that again. Uh, what got you started in acting? What got me started in acting? I was originally a music student. I'd studied piano from the age of four. And then I went to Indiana University in a voice performance scholarship in the opera theater department. Then I switched to theater. I got the acting bug. You know what? I think a big influence was my dad is a retired minister. And in the Baptist church, a lot of the singing, the playing pianos, the skits, the plays they put on are drawn from the congregation. They don't hire professional actors to come in and do it. So I started performing at a pretty young age and I just always knew, and I felt very blessed that I always knew that my life would be some area of performing. It, it's the difference between a calling and a profession, if that makes sense to you. I don't want to get too deep. It, it, does that answer your question? Okay, thank nice. you. Nice. All right, while I'm here in the middle, oh, here comes the big stretch. He's got a flash hat and a flash shirt. I wonder if he's a flash fan. He is. It's a shirt. What's your name? Timmy. Timmy, what's your question? Charlie, can you speak like the flash for all of the audience to hear? Oh my God. Uh, Timmy, that's an awesome thing to ask someone on stage, and, and they should do that. And, <laughs> and yeah, you know, here's the thing about the flash. He, he pretty much talks like me. He's just kind of got a bit of an attitude. You know what I mean, Timmy? Yeah, that. It's like he came to oh, life yeah, yeah, yeah. right there. <laughs> all right. This question is for both of you. What superhero would you say is your favorite besides the one you play? Sorry. We were talking we were amongst chatting, ourselves. We were being That's bad okay. in the class. What, what's, right? what superhero is your favorite other than the one that you get to play? Hmm. You mean to play or to, to be or to, to just, watch? Just or? like in general. Oh. Um, oh, God. Is the honey nut bee a, a superhero? <laughs> to be happy, be healthy. I don't know if that... Depends how hungry you are. Is Kick Batowski a superhero? He wears a cape. I'm going to say Kick Patask is my favorite superhero. John, go. Um, I want to ask you who yours is. Ooh. Ooh. Batman. 
Yeah, a lot of people like the, the I was darkness say Batman and the grid of Batman. <laughs> I think that's a good answer. I'll go with your answer. See what I did there? Always go with the kids, absolutely. All right, hi there, what's your name? Liam. Liam, what's your question? Who is your, oh, it's for both of them. Who is your favorite Justice League member and, and what's your favorite actor for them? Ooh, favorite Justice League actor or character and favorite actor for them, is that right? So, so do you mean like uh, current, like forever Justice League or current movies what, Justice I, League? I know what he said, you know, one of my favorite. Yeah, there's, there's a guy, his name is um, uh, Yuri Lowenthal, and, and he plays Robin in one of the series. And, and I think he's one of the, the best voiceover actors going today. Mm. If you guys know Yuri, nice. he's, just, he's brilliant at what he does. Really love that guy. And, and he steals a lot of parts from me, and I still love him. <laughs> he does. Um, uh, hero has to be a hero. Does it have to be? A, I'm going to ask Liam. He's the judge here. Does it, does it need to be a hero, Liam? Or can or it be it, a villain? Could it be a bad guy? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I, I, I just, you know, over the decades and through his iterations as the trickster and then the jokester and then the trickster again, I have to say my favorite person to have interacted with in this universe is Mark Hamill. Yeah, good answer. Good answer. All right, we've got one more question. It's all, way, all the way over here. What's your name? My name's Sarah. Sarah, who's your question for? Um, John, so I was wondering what's your favorite uh, Flash ability, like phasing? Like, what was your favorite ability for the Flash? In terms My of favorite superpower? ability of the Flash? I don't know, vibrating through a wall was pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> you know, that was, that, that, that was pretty cool, I'd have to say. But I don't know, it's just, you know, the idea of speed, the idea that there are so many, because, you know, when I first, I wasn't a comic book fan growing up, and I was like, Okay, so Flash, he runs fast. Well, it's, as I came to discover what you already know, it's so much more than that, you know? It's time, it's speed force, it's, you know? But yeah, yeah, that was a cool scene where I was, I vibrated through a wall and I went, whoa, weird. <laughs> I, uh, I would argue that uh, perhaps uh, your, uh, one of your, hopefully one of your favorite superpowers and one of your most effective superpowers is charming the heck out of all these people, ah. both of you gentlemen. You can and should visit these two fantastic guys right outside here. They're going to be here all day long, so by all means, take your picture with them, go shake their hands. They want to meet you. They're here for you. Say hello in person. Uh, and enjoy, of course, all the Garden State Comic Fest uh, activities going out there. One more time, it's going to happen again Saturday, Sunday, June 29th and 30th up in Morristown, uh, gscomicfest.com. Please give it up one more time for Charlie and John. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. My name is Brad Barton. Have a great Memorial Day weekend and have fun out there. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts. Many thanks to my guests, John Wesley Ship, Charlie Schlotter, and Brad Yance. Special thanks also to Dave O'Hare and Sal Zerzolo at the Garden State Comic Fest for the opportunity to host the interview. And thanks to the production team at Six Flags Great Adventure for the hospitality, professionalism, and a great venue. And thanks, of course, to you for inviting me into your ear canals to nerd out. It means more to me than you know, truly. I'd love to hear what you think about this latest audio adventure. What do you like? And what should be flown to the planet of Mustafar and tossed into a river of lava? 
You can tell me by leaving me a message at one of the show's social media channels. They are the 1.21 Gigawatts Facebook page, where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and genre entertainment news. On Twitter, I'm at 121 Gigawatts, and on Instagram, I'm 1.21 underscore Gigawatts. Plus, you can find all of those feeds at the 1.21 Gigawatts website. It has photos, blog entries, every episode to date, newsletter sign-up information, and more. Get thee to 121gigawatts.com and wallow in the nerdliness. And while you're nerding around on the internet, please be sure to visit marvel.com where you can find more of my work as the writer of the Marvel Top 10 video series. The most recent episodes include Top 10 Realms, Top 10 Heroic Dogs, and Top 10 90s Crossovers. Yes, I said Top 10 Heroic Dogs. Is Lockjaw on the list? Is Ms. Lion on the list? You're doggone right they are! Visit Marvel.com to see who made the full videos and lists. You know, I talk a lot about the Garden State Comic Fest on this show, and on June 29th and 30th, you too can attend the Mothership Show in Morristown, New Jersey. I'll be there all weekend hosting panels, conducting interviews, and taking pictures with amazing cosplayers. I talked about it at the top of the show. Go on back, listen to see who's going to be there. I'd love to see you there, and you can get all the details at GardenStateComicFest.com. Hey, did you know that every episode of this podcast is available for free in the podcast section on iTunes? It's so easy to subscribe and never miss a geeky second. And while you're visiting iTunes, you can help us out. Whether you're a subscriber or not, please rate and review the show on iTunes, especially if you have something nice to say, because that will help more like-minded listeners find the show. If you're not an iTunes user, you can also find us at soundcloud.com or on Player FM. You're probably listening to my voice right now thanks to one of those platforms. Browse the other episodes listed there and check out another one. I'll even make a recommendation for you. If you enjoyed this episode's interview with John Wesley Shipp and Charlie Schlotter, I encourage you to check out episode number 27 when I spoke with Summer Glau, star of Firefly, Serenity, and Terminator, The Sarah Connors Chronicles. That was another convention panel in front of a live audience, and come on, Summer Glau, she is great. That's episode number 27 of 1.21 Gigawatts. Give it a listen as soon as you finish this one. Huge gratitude to the Zupan of the Zero Crossing Point, composer and my co-producer David Sisko. You are and remain the best, Sisko. Dear listener, if you enjoyed this travel-sized chunk of geekitude, please do share it with a nerdy friend. You can follow, like, etc. all of those social media accounts mentioned a few seconds ago and let people know that you're listening. I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's nerd rock band H2Awesome rocking out with the 1.21 Gigawatts theme song. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.
My name is Barry Allen. Hello, John. Do, do I know you? You're not wearing your ring. Things must be different here. Barry, where's there? My Earth. Earth 90. I've traveled from there to warn you. Warn us about what? His name is Mar Novu, but he calls himself the Monitor now. He's been unleashing the Book of Destiny across the multiverse to test different Earths. Test them for what? A crisis that he believes is coming. Novu thinks the Elts worlds created by the Book of Destiny approximates the collision of realities that we're facing. 